Hey, this is Ryan Chapman with Fix Your Funnel, and I'm, I'm pleased to have yet another friend um, for today's interview. And we're going to be talking about some neat stuff. I have with me Aaron Abramson, and Aaron, you've been um, doing DJing and, and kind of party stuff for a long time. Well, uh, kind of, yeah. My my background is actually uh, IT software development and project management, and I, I uh, was the chief technology officer for a Wi-Fi company for. Uh, oh, eight years or so back in the early 2000s, uh, pioneering Wi-Fi and hotel space. Okay, yeah, I remember that. You were telling yeah. me about that. And then, and then in 2012, I started DJing part-time for another company just to make some extra money and because I was going through uh, some relationship issues and, and so on, but <laughs> I had to hire an attorney. But then uh, I ended up buying the DJ company that I was working for because I fell in love with entertaining. I found out that I was pretty good at it. I really enjoyed it. And sitting at a computer, uh, staring at a screen was kind of killing me inside, uh, all yeah. week. So when I bought the company, the, the previous owner had, I mean, the company was, had been around for 25 years and they had a defined set sales process and a cycle and a system for everything they did. They just did it very manually. And so being the consummate nerd and, and IT geek I was, the first thing I did once I bought the company was I got Infusionsoft and I automated as much as I could of the existing systems in the business because as a computer programmer, I'm inherently lazy. I'll spend 18 hours <laughs> writing a script to save me 30 seconds every day. So, <laughs> so I don't know that it's lazy. I think, it, well, yeah, I guess I'd say the same thing. It's kind of like you don't want to be doing the same thing over and over again. It's like a, almost a, you have like a phobia of wasting time. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it's, it's work smart. And, and so when I implemented Infusionsoft, uh, this is back in 2014, yeah. there were things that I needed to do some functionality uh, for like manipulating dates and fields and so on. And so I actually found Fixer Funnel uh, with the funnel bots uh, pretty early on. Yeah. And, and so uh, all, a lot of my current campaigns uh, that were built back in 2014, 2015 still are rocking today, uh, chugging away and manipulating uh, date information. For example, as a DJ company, we're marketing to brides. Brides have wedding dates. So I need to know how many leads do I have on October 7th, 2019. And then so I can segment my list based on Saturdays, based on Fridays, based on oh, all these yeah. other date things. So I can actually market specifically to, to fill my inventory because dates are my inventory. Yeah. So, well, that's very interesting. So in your business, it's a lot like medical and um, attorneys and stuff like that, where your inventory is time. So if that time is not filled in the past, that's like a banana going bad. Absolutely. And so with, so with supply and demand, I know that every Saturday here in northern Minnesota between May and October is, is, has a really good chance of selling out all of our services for DJs and photo booths and so on. Um, however, Fridays, there's less demand. So if I can run the, the funnel bot, date bot to tag my leads as they come in, and if a tag is a Friday date, then uh, I can automatically segment off to a special sale campaign to promote a, a discounted price to them. So Okay, so we're starting to get a little nerdy. I want to back up a little bit, though. Okay. I'm curious, what happened to the business volume once you started automating compared to the 25 years before? Um, 
business volume went up significantly. Actually, the the first year volume dipped as I was still getting my hands around. Yeah, I learning learning the the nuances of marketing to to brides, learning the nuances of marketing a seasonal business. Um, and that would have happened if you were doing automation or not, though. Co- correct, correct. Yeah. Um, but the biggest thing for me was I falsely assumed that, hey, I can automate my email marketing and I can stop sending out physical mail. Part of the sales process that the company had been using for years was to send out letters and postcards to all the leads that came in. Yeah. And so I thought, why, why are we wasting money on postage when we have email and the internet and all this stuff? <laughs> and, and sales tanked. Yeah, and that's so, classic. So, so the, the next spring came around and uh, after a conversation with the previous owner, I sent out about 600 letters to my lead list. And what do you know? Sales started coming in again. And so now, now I've, I've reintegrated physical direct mail to our sales process. I think that's something interesting worth highlighting um, because what I've noticed and I've, is that like a huge opportunity when it comes to business in general is when you have an industry or a business that's been very manual, um, what you want to do is you want to observe what are they doing that's actually working, right? Yeah. And then we want to take and start automating those parts that are appropriate to automate and then highlighting the time where humans are involved where they should be involved. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you do that, there's just, it's really easy to get a huge initial bump off of just doing that. Right. Just adding in some better consistency to where maybe it doesn't currently exist. And the cool part about your kind of your mentality is that when you come into a process, once you got through that first lesson, which was don't change stuff that's working, (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause that's a, and I kind of laughed when you were telling that story because that's a classic mistake. Everybody makes it. Everybody makes it, especially if you're coming into a new business and you're looking at cost versus ease, you know, mm-hmm. everybody makes the same mistake. They're like, well, let me throw these, <laughs> throw these dollars aside. So I can get these pennies on the ground. They don't realize that they're shooting themselves in the foot, you know, so I'm glad you figured it out so quickly because a lot of people don't, unfortunately. And that's kind of the sad, the tragedy portion of that story is there's a lot of people that just don't get it. And so they end up uh, really getting into trouble, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm glad you figured that out. Okay, so I love the way you gave that history too because I think it gives people that are listening to this kind of context of how this whole thing, you know, how you got into it, how you started working with it. You mentioned you kind of started off with funnel bots, but when I was asking before we started the, the interview, I was saying, you know, what are some of those things that are making the biggest difference for you? And yeah, r- right you, now. You I said mean, your follow-up process was the yes, first thing that came to mind. Yeah, so, so the, the oh, first thing well, is... Before you go any further, I want to give context to that question because okay. <laughs> that question kind of seems like it's, it's not a good question from my perspective. The question I actually asked was, what are the things that helped grow the business or increase the profit? You know, because that's different from things that people get excited about. Cause some people get excited about stuff that's, you know, super sophisticated, you know, they're, you know, doing all these uh, decision time and they're, they're yep. pushing people in different directions, but it doesn't make any money for them. Yeah. Grow the business. And I think that that's just, you know, a failure 
on the part of the business owner because they get excited about something, but it's not the thing that actually makes a difference for what they're trying to accomplish. So yeah. all that being said, that was the question I asked, and you came up immediately with the follow-up process. You improved the follow-up process. So tell, walk people through what was your follow-up process before and then after. Uh, well, the, the follow-up process has mostly remained the same uh, with with some tweaks and improvements to it. Um, our process is uh, when a lead comes into the system, we never stop following up with them until they tell us to shut up or to uh, their wedding date passes. And we know that they're no longer a prospect because they're either married or, or so on. So we, we do a lot of lead acquisition through um, bridal shows, wedding shows, um, purchase leads from other uh, wedding vendors like David's bridal and so on. Uh, we have our Facebook page, uh, the Not Wedding Wire, all, all the different directories and stuff to acquire leads. We have that. And they all go into our system. And then we have cycles of sales and promotions. Um, we have different follow-up uh, segments. So, so when a new lead comes in, we, we run a certain special promotion to them for the first three weeks and then let them cool off for a week or two. And then like the second one. You had a pretty good system to start with. Yeah, I did. That. And, so, and, and that's, that, that's where I, I took their, their existing system that, that, that uh, was this, this follow-up process and, and automated it in Infusionsoft. So instead of having to go in and run a search, export the list into an Excel spreadsheet, and then go print off uh, labels here and then import yeah. them to constant contact to send out an email and, and keep track of what email and who's where now they're all just in the in Infusionsoft database. I apply a tag that says start this promotion and it goes through and, and, and runs the promotion and then it ticks down and next time, okay, run this one. And so you have that in place. It's, it's obviously working really well. Plus yeah. it's easier for you to run and organize and, and know where everybody is. And then you said you did something that improved it. What, what did you do that improved that already? Well, it sounds like a really great system. Yeah. In, in the last year now, um, we've implemented the live texting and the automated texting. And we have seen a significant improvement in our response rates to our follow-up. For example, when, when somebody prints the, uh, or not, not prints, but when somebody fills out our form on our website, we now have to a checkbox that says instantly text me the information and and we've added that to all of our lead capture forms everywhere that's cool. so that's kind of a variation on what we taught about using uh, lead ad forms i understand you do some stuff like that with yep facebook. yep so we, so we do the facebook lead ad forms but then the bulk of our leads come in through, either through our website or through yeah. Your wedding you wire. Just, you just converted that technique and put it over to your web form. Yep, exactly. And so, so when somebody check marks the box and says, "Text me the information," then we use a, a, the fix your funnel automated messaging conversations to to send that out. When we go to a bridal show, okay, hold on a second, because a lot of people listening may have been going, "Wait, you use what?" So, are you using an automated conversation to gather some more information? Yes, we are. Okay, so you're you're using and so the people that use Fix Your Funnel, you can find that by going into auto conver- conversations or automated messaging conversations. And for people in the U.S. and Canada, there is a beta feature, advanced feature. You click on a button to kind of show it. But what it does is it allows you to start an automated conversation from Campaign Builder HTTP post. 
So you're doing that to not only send them the information, but then start gathering some more information that will help you to know how to follow up with them. Yes, yes. And then we also use the automated conversations with keywords for lead collection at bridal shows. So in in our booth at the show, we use the QR codes and also text packages to our our phone number to receive to, to register for the, the the special promotion for the for the bridal show. So something that um, some people may not pick up on because I'm a fellow programmer, I picked up on this is Aaron is going in a very sequential. You're going in a real sequential process. So a lot of people, when when I asked that question of what did you do to your follow up sequence, they would immediately go to well, we sent campaign uh, or conversation starting text messages through uh, a campaign builder messaging post. Right, so I'm using my fixture funnel number. I send out a conversation starter. They ask them a question, gets them engaged, and then we carry on with a live texting conversation. But you actually backed up and went to how do you open the door to give you that opportunity in the first place? Because that's where you went with the web form, asking for the phone number, also asking for permission to text them. Also, you went to keywords at your bridal showers to try and get the the door open for yeah. texting. So you kind of intuitively walked backwards and, and went through the process that we kind of teach people or try to teach people more clearly, which is open the door, start asking questions, have live conversations. That's kind of the, the secret to getting the most out of texting from my perspective. It, it is. And, and I actually, the very first time I dipped my toe into the text messaging arena, it was November 2017. We were running our annual Black Friday sale promotion. And uh, this, this, this promotion does really well every year. Um, I require my lead list to register to download the Black Friday price list, and then they can get the, the special discounts. And so on Friday, on Black Friday, I was in my office, and I said, you know what, I'm going to try this. I sent out a broadcast text message to all of the people that registered for my sale. So we had like 72 people that had registered for the sale. So I sent out a broadcast text to all 72 of them. And, and for about the next hour, hour and a half, uh, just back and forth messaging inside of Fixture Funnels um, live messaging app, uh, answering questions and i had three people book through the text messaging from that and so I, i'm still hesitant to do large-scale broadcasts yeah. to like, like three thousand people on my list but for a, a special targeted promotion i still do that uh, for everybody that registers for the sale then i i will do a broadcast text to say hey did you have any questions about the special or or just just a reminder uh, our Black Friday sale ends in three hours or something like that. Yeah. And, and well, there are certain situations where some of those larger broadcasts can make sense. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, we are saying, hey, you guys got to give yourself time because that's going to take time to send out to have it actually be delivered because carriers yep. have gotten more intense in their filtering of messages. But, you know, overall, I think the most powerful uh, way to be using texting is organically as part of the, the follow-up process like you were doing you're doing absolutely you've got those text messages baked into certain actions like filling out the form with the checkbox okay boom let's start some texting there yep maybe they do something that's a key action that indicates hey they're taking a step towards making a decision let's start a conversation now yeah and and so the biggest improvements in the most recent months that that we've seen i actually had a conversation with my sales staff about this uh before 
the call here. And that, that is simply using the, the live messaging app to be able to text on demand with, with our contacts. And so as part of our follow-up process, our very first follow-up when a lead requests information, we, we make a phone call using the, the Fix Your Funnel dialer. We want to get that phone conversation, but even if they don't answer and we leave a voicemail, we still send them a text. And marketing to the millennial bride is very much text communication. We do a lot of sales via email, sales via text now. And the, the f- fact that we were able to port all of our business phone numbers to fix your funnel. So we are texting and calling from our actual business line instead of a secondary number and so on. Um, that's been huge. Yeah. Well, especially with your demographic, I mean, some people tend to narrow the demographic that prefers texting to just people that are millennials or under like a 30 or 40 year range. But statistics actually show people up into their 60s prefer texting over phone calls. You know, what's the interesting statistic, Aaron? I just saw this last week is that there are now 5 billion people on the planet Mm -hmm. a smartphone. Wow. Or at least have some sort of mobile phone. And maybe it's a little bit less their smartphones, but it's 5 billion people have a mobile phone. Well, all mobile phones are text enabled. In the United States, it's probably a hundred percent smartphone almost. It is interesting. When I look through my Google analytics on my website, uh, the, the, the volume of mobile uh, users on the site, but yet at the same time, what's even more interesting is the, is the high number of desktop users specifically between 1130 AM and 2 PM as brides are planning their wedding at work on their work computers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So cool. Those are good observations. You know, those are important things for all business owners to make. You know, you need to have some Google Analytics just so you can be seeing how people are using, you know, or interacting with your website. I think that's pretty critical. And also checking out your Facebook analytics to see like who are you actually targeting with your ads? Where what device are they on? Yeah. Because that tells you a little bit something. It's different for every business. So you can't get like, you know, the statistics are like almost like 95% of, of Facebook usage is on the smartphone. But that doesn't mean that your market is that 95%. So like with my business, a lot of our users are actually on desktop, which really skews things off because they're doing that stuff on their desktop. You can't use Infusionsoft with a mobile phone, really. So you've got to have a desktop for it. So that kind of skews all our numbers away from what most of our users actually experience, which is most of their customers on mobile phone. And so it, it's a very interesting. But you got to look at that so you can know those things. And it's very astute of you to observe where what time of day they're actually on desktop versus mobile. Because that also tells you something about when you should run ads and when you shouldn't. Type of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, very fascinating. Okay, so you're incorporating the live texting. Mm -hmm. You noticed that that had a pretty big impact on your ability to connect with people, which is what we've heard from everybody and seen ourselves. Is there's just too much going on with email, you know? Yeah, you've got to you've got to use both. I don't, you know, I am not huge a huge fan of email personally, just from the receiving and processing side of it. But from a business standpoint, I recognize the utility of, of email 
but it, it's just so much more powerful if you couple it with texting because you know the text is going to be seen, but you really have a limited payload. Um, with an email, you can you can deliver a lot more, but you know it's difficult to be seen. So by combining those two, you can really have you know, high effectiveness. And then if you incorporate the phone call, like I, I think there's something one some people don't really understand because you're what you're using is you're using direct mail, using a voice conversation through the phone, you're using texting, and you're using email. Are there any other medias that you're using besides those four? Well, we're, we're using Facebook, um, and we're using Facebook. the Facebook sync functionality of Fix Your Funnel as well. Uh, well. Let's go into that in just a second. But what I want to point out with those five medias that you're using, which is Facebook, I'm glad that you included that because it's its own sort of media, right? Yep. Your email, you're doing texting, you're doing phone calling, and you're doing direct mail. With each media layer that you can add into your marketing, the the better chances you have for actually making connection and connection is where you get results. If you don't connect, you don't get results. And so that's uh, the important part is connecting people mistake sending for connecting. You yes. know what I mean? They're like, Oh, I'm sending out emails. And so that's like the mistake, classic mistake you made right at the beginning was, Oh, why do I need to send this direct mail? It costs money. Let's just send emails. It, it's also the, the pattern of disruption to sure. stand out and the consistency and perseverance of the follow-up. I, I know for, for me, it's, it's understanding the sales cycle. If I am attending a, a bridal show in January, and the, the people, half the people that are coming through just got engaged in December over Christmas time, the other half the people have their weddings coming up in a few months, and they already have all their vendors picked. So half the people aren't really customers because they... They have everything booked already, and the other half aren't ready to book yet. And so they come into our system, and they, we follow up, follow up, follow up. And a lot of those leads then don't actually become customers until five, six, seven months later when they're actually ready to book based on when their wedding date is. Having that the ability to know kind of how far out in advance is. So if, if I know that a, a lead... Has, uh, is looking at a date in June of 2020, I'm going to be talking to that lead now differently than a lead that is in October of 2019 yeah. because they're, they're in a different part of their buy cycle. Absolutely. And I think those are just good concepts for people to get a hold of because if they, they can think that way and if they understand the sales cycle and they can think about, okay, when should we push harder and when should we back off, then it'll make yeah. it so that they can afford to do multiple medias because like phone calls are expensive i think the phone calls are more expensive than direct mail personally and not because of the cost of the call but the cost of the time of the person making oh yes absolutely so as far as like when i'm evaluating where and when we want to use different medias you know phone call i'm looking okay that's the most expensive one so i want to use that only in the best times then there's direct mail which is super effective for standing out because nobody does it and those that do don't do it right for the most part. So, you know, it's really easy to win in, in direct mail if you put in a little effort, but it's expensive relative to the other two or three. There's Facebook ads, which is probably the next most expensive, but it can be great because that's where they're spending all their time, you know, at least free time, disposable time. And then um, there's the text message, which is super effective at being seen, mm-hmm. relatively low in cost and is a lot easier even if we get them to live chat to respond to than a phone call in terms of time consumption yeah. and at the very bottom is email but 
it's cheap but not very effective. So you know, why not use it because it's not going to cost you time. And, and even thinking here, I re- I remember back when I first bought the business and went kind of crazy on the marketing side, and I and I thought I'd do like other companies did and take out ads like quarter page or half page or, or full page ads in various magazines and and it was expensive and i didn't see any noticeable return from that however now that we have the text messaging ability for lead capture and with a good clear offer and call to action I, i'm tempted to do a test again and and run a magazine ad well and that's the thing too that i think we're just talking about mediums here, but you, you raise a more important point, which is the one that's often overlooked, which is the quality of your offer yeah. and the ease of the call to action. And you know, that's the beautiful part of it. Like the easiest call to action for many business owners to just put a website on the ad. Like even if they develop a good call to action, that's compelling, which frequently isn't. So there's not a great offer, right? Yeah. But if there was a great offer, they'll send them to a website. The, the fact of the matter is, though, if you have a compelling offer, sending to them to a website is as easy as asking them to text a keyword to a phone number. It, but the big difference is the second that they text the keyword to the phone number, you've got a phone number and an intent. Correct. It's significantly more than the, you can pixel them if they go to the website, which is way more than we used to be able to do. But now you've got to spend even more money to figure out who they are. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I get them to text in, I can now, that's the same as pixeling them because that phone number is virtually a guarantee I'm going to get either an Instagram or a Facebook profile that I can mar- market to, you know what I mean, on the ad networks. But I also have the ability to text and call, and I'm probably going to get an email through that process, and then I'm also going to get them on the website. So I get all like five different things versus just going to the website. It's, it's also just a, a matter of not that you can, but whether you should and measuring it, being able to measure, setting it up so you can measure your results. Yes. So you can then actually determine what your return on investment is for a given marketing piece. Exactly. It's that way you're not running blind. Especially when it comes to advertising like you're talking about in periodicals and stuff. They, they can be very effective. Usually the problem is people spend too much time on the wrong things when it comes to periodicals. What you really have to do, and it takes time, that's why most people end up not doing it. You really have to think about the context. You got to think about what do they know, what do they not know? How can I give them enough information that I can create a compelling offer and then be able to put together and engineer that compelling offer so that they're like, how can I not request this? You know, How can I not go for this offer? And so those are the things where people, I see people cut short on it. I know what I'm guilty of doing when it comes to kind of these periodicals or, you know, maybe an ad that goes in a booklet for an event or something like that is I let the time get by me. And so then all of a sudden I'm up against a deadline. I'm so I have to rush it. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that can happen with periodicals too. So what's really important is that you really give yourself enough time that you can do those things you need to do, which is create something that's super compelling the right person in the right place and if you do that then you've got a good chance of it especially with the, the text message call to action because you know nobody is is reading anything without their phone within three feet of them absolutely 
and and that's the you said something that that made me think of something about how how forgiving it is to use the combination of email and text and and a facebook sync because you can rather quickly set up a special promotion send out an email blast follow it up with a, a, a opt-in with a text message and a, a Facebook ad targeted to whoever you're running the promotion to. And you can get that up and running pretty quickly. Done is better than perfect. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's funny how my most effective emails and text messages are the whoops, I made a mistake on that last email. <laughs> this is the correct link. And, and it, it shows that humanity and it shows that, Hey, there's actually a real person here. And it also causes them to go back and actually read the email where you goofed up on the link and, and so on. And so it's, it wouldn't be entirely the worst thing in the world to have a campaign where you actually said whoops. Oh, I, I have those all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, let's talk about the, the fixture funnel sync because that's something you've mentioned a couple of times. And a lot of people may not be following yeah. what you're, or tracking what you're saying. So tell us a little bit about how you're using fixture funnel sync. I'll just give a, a quick intro. Fixture funnel sync allows you to take contacts based on a tag on that contact and put them into what's called a Facebook custom audience. Maybe you can take it from there and talk about how you're using that. Yeah. Are you using lead ads as well or just the sync? Um, I, I'm using lead ads. Let's let's go into sync first, and then yes. ads. that way we can people can get an idea of how you're using it. Yeah. So so with Facebook marketing and and ad audiences, it's best to think of layers and buckets. So I have the Facebook pixel on my website. So if anybody visits my website, they then go and are in one ad audience, and I have an ad running to, to them. So on Facebook in my ads manager, this is the logic and the custom audience that if they visited my website and they are not in my active lead sync audience. So once someone fills in the, uh, my, my request for information form or a quote or any of my lead capture and they get into my Infusionsoft, they get synced into an active lead ad audience. So I can run a targeted ad to people that have visited my website and are not part of my active lead list. So I don't have their actual information yet. And then... That is, that, see, and that's really important. A lot of people don't think about this. But that just that ability right there to segment your Facebook ads just gives you yeah. a lot more control and making sure you don't waste dollars. Absolutely. Showing ads to people who are already saying, yes, I'm interested. Why oh, yeah. are you still showing me ads? Well, it's, it's even more important here in, in, in my business because once a client books, then I sync them into my booked client ad audience. And so, so when I run ads to my active leads, I exclude everybody that's part of my booked audience. And then I also run other ads with upsells and add-ons to my booked client list. Yeah, see, that's so smart. When you're talking about buckets, what you're saying is, okay, what are the buckets that are the represent the progress of a person from they're aware that I exist, they've yep. the website to um, they're booked and they've upgraded to a better package. Yes. So any business can do that. And so what I would recommend, and tell me if you do it any different, Aaron, 
is just get out a piece of paper. You know, I think too often people think everything's got to be done on the computer. I do a lot of my program, my pre-programming and my pre-design of marketing campaigns and stuff like that, just on paper with pencil. Cause I want to, I want to explore. I want to play a little bit. And as you're taking the pencil out and you're drawing stuff and you're making some lines and scratching some stuff out, your brain works in a different way than it does when you're sitting at a computer. So I really like to do that. And so when it comes to thinking about the flow of customers through your business, go get yourself a nice lunch, sit down with a pad of paper and a pencil, and then start just drawing out, like, what's the process? What's the flow? You know, what are they doing? Yeah. And then you go back and compare it to your campaigns in Infusionsoft and say, okay, are we actually doing anything to identify these? No, we're not. Well, how can we start doing that? So one first step is make sure you got your Facebook pixel on your website so you can start getting that list. And then you identify the next bucket and you're like, okay, are we doing any tags to identify this second phase? Oh yeah, we can, oh, right here we have, oh, in fact, we have four tags that identify that second phase. They're just for different sources. That's mm-hmm. fine. I can put them all together. Or maybe I'll start applying one tag universal across them and use that for my my custom audience that represents bucket two or, or tags based on interest. When somebody fills in a request a quote form and they're interested in DJ services, but they're also interested in photo booth services, I can market to them differently than those that don't select photo booth services. So I, some people might hear all this and they go, Oh geez, this sounds like a lot of work because now you have to have all these campaigns in Facebook, but you just set up these campaigns. You do a little thought and then yep. you put together a basic ad because it's so targeted your ad doesn't have to be out of the park. It just has to be clear, right? And Facebook recently updated unless you have campaign level budgets. So you can now have dozens and dozens and dozens of ad of ad groups and ad sets in one campaign and have one single budget for all of them. So you, you're that's not how frequently I'm checking our Facebook. Ads. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's, that's a good addition because really frequently I, you know, I've got, at the ad at the campaign level that I want to put a budget and I want to spend, you know, across those ad sets, yeah. especially when we're talking about situations like what we're talking about here, where we have our buckets, those would each be individual ad sets in one campaign. Program. And and here's the thing too, is, is with, with Facebook, Facebook forces you to have a campaign and a campaign goal. So it's either a branding campaign or, or it's a, uh, a, a, lead, a, a lead acquisition campaign or, or some other thing. And, yeah. and you could run a more generic, like tar- the, the goal is to get them to click the link. So, so Facebook updates the targeting to get them to click. But then if I'm running a, uh, a land exposure. Yeah. If, if, if I'm running a landing page that has a lead capture form that applies a tag and then that tag then adjusts the Facebook sync, I can now have more control over the performance of my ads and move people yeah. through from, from one ad set to the other to t- different targeting without having to have as many unique campaigns based on campaign goals. Right. And then something I would frequently do or and even recommend is I would do a lot of video view ads on mm-hmm. particular topics that correlated with um, content in my email campaigns. Yep. And so video views are super inexpensive. So it's a great way, especially now with the campaign level budget, I can say, okay, I want to spend $50 a month on video views. And then you can have within that all your little buckets, which are your ad sets, right? Yep. 
and have your different videos as the ads in those ad sets, but each of those ad sets correlating with a different bucket because it's got a different audience associated with it. And this is, this is more important for small businesses that are oh, yeah. dealing with smaller lead lists and, and target audiences. Yeah. Now, something for people to be aware of is I think you have to have at least 30 people that are a match. And it's really hard to know with custom audiences because Facebook, they got into some trouble with privacy stuff or something. They removed the ability for you to see how many people match up. But just know if you're using cell phone numbers and email addresses, you're probably getting about 100% match. At least that was our experience before they took away the ability to see that. We did a lot of research on this. If you have a cell phone number and an email address, you're probably getting a match with either Facebook or Instagram. Adding in, adding in the text messages actually gave us a huge improvement. We were already doing some Facebook ads beforehand, but it wasn't until we added in the, the cell phone number and and like the, the capture and and so on because when when someone's planning a wedding they actually create like a, a jack and jill 2019 at gmail.com wedding specific email <laughs> and that's not the email they use for facebook yeah so, so a yeah, lot of- and that's really important because a lot of people are using different there's a lot of different ways to do a custom audience creation yeah. on facebook there's like probably not exaggerating 200 different providers that do it not all of them integrate with infusionsoft but with zapier you know you could probably say there's 200 right or something yeah. like that. but most of them only do email and that because of our background in mobile and understanding mobile numbers and the uniqueness of them and how facebook and instagram use those uh it was really obvious to us no you gotta do phone number and email you can't just do email so we're one of the few that do phone number and email. The only other one that I know of for sure that does phone number and email is Sync Sumo, and that's because I I wrote it. <laughs> so if, if you're not using a fix your funnel sync, you want to use Sync Sumo. One of those two uh, are the only two I know that use phone numbers for the the Facebook sync. And that way your custom audience is going to be close to 100%. Well, the reason that's important is because you got to have at least 30 people in that custom audience for the ads to be active. So if you're, when you're dealing with smaller numbers, if you've got it down to like five people, you're not, they're not going to see any ads. You've got to get at least 30 in that group. So you, as you're designing your buckets, just think about, well, how many people are in that bucket? And you may not do exclusion the same way. You may let, allow a little overlap if you need to, to make sure those buckets fill up to at least 30 as you're showing ads to people. Now to make sure that the ads show. So didn't know if everybody knew that, but that's helpful to know. Okay, Aaron. So you're doing lead ads too. We we are um, not a lot of them. I haven't really. So one of the things that I'm not doing well is I, I'm not doing any Google AdWords, and yeah. I'm and I'm not uh, doing a lot of lead ads, like capturing brand new leads on Facebook. What I'm what I'm using Facebook for is remarketing to our existing lead list, our people that visit our website and so on. Uh, I, I have yet to, to turn up the, the, the budget to actually go out and say, find me all people in the state of Minnesota who got engaged in the last six months and serve this ad to them and, and then do lead capture that way. So well, I don't know if you, I'm sure you saw it in our Facebook user group. We had a little story by Ross walker that he's doing with uh, doctors mm-hmm. so he's doing the facebook lead ad and he's instead of trying to get book an appointment directly to that what he's doing is he's sending out a text immediately 
Um, so he's a- asking for the mobile number, permission to send the text. They send it, send the text immediately, and then within five to ten minutes, they try and have a member of their staff call the prospect. And what they're finding is if they do that formula where they say, hey, we'll be calling you in a few minutes to set an exact time. If you have any questions, you know, have those questions ready then. By doing that process, they're getting like 90% of the people who opt in to actually set an appointment, which is through the roof. But I thought that might be interesting for you to think about how you can modify that strategy for Facebook lead ads to, you know, consult or potentially even booking. Because the reality is a lot of people just want to get the thing taken care of. Yeah. They do have a budget and they want to stay within that. But as long as your pricing isn't extraordinary, they really just want to nail somebody down that will work for them. And the fact that somebody gets with them quickly is very demonstrative that they'll probably take care of business too. It is. And I, and I, I see the value in that. My, my own personal hesitation is um, I know what I'm currently paying per lead through my existing sources and yeah. everybody that tells me that they do Facebook lead ad capture is spending twice per lead what I'm paying right now. And so, um, so, so yeah, I think the low side that I've seen with Facebook lead ads is a buck 67, which is interesting because it always ends up being a buck 67. I haven't heard anybody saying uh, per, per lead per lead. Oh, no, see, I, I, I've seen I, I've seen numbers more like seven or eight dollars per lead. Yeah, the high end is going to be up twenty, thirty dollars a lead. Usually, that's because there's something wrong with the um, audience or the offer. Okay. So if you're if, if you're telling me that if you're telling me that you can help me get a, a buck sixty seven a lead, <laughs> I, I'll I'll gladly. Uh, yeah, uh, well, to get to that level, what you're looking at is you got to make sure you got the right audience. Mm-hmm. So your ad is not, and one of the ways you can do that is using it as a secondary layer. So you use a primary layer, which is just to get attention, mm-hmm. and the people that you get attention from, you then do a secondary layer asking for them to take you know take action. So you will spend a little bit in the pri- primary layer that primes them, mm-hmm. but you're, what you're doing is you're making sure that your lead ad spend, which tends to be more expensive, is reduced because it's focused only on people that have shown interest in the first place. And so um, what you can do with that is have uh, like a text message call to action in your, your primary ad. What you want to look for is the cheapest potential ad that you can do mm-hmm. that will be able to track in some way within the Facebook program. Um, or, you know, if you're sent to a website, some way that you can track and identify who those are. And then only those people do you target with the lead ad for a direct call to action. People have already demonstrated that they're actually interested in the topic. Got it. So, Doing that was going to help so that'll get the right audience. And then part two is make sure that you have a really compelling offer for that market. And so thinking about what was actually going to be interesting and useful to them that will help them go, oh, yeah, this is actually going to help me get my yeah. job done. And so those two are the two big keys that I see that will help reduce cost. Now, the smaller the audience can sometimes bump your cost up. But if you've done proper filtering, then that can help because it's the right people seeing the right message at the right time. Um, some of those things can be like video views are super inexpensive. There's some other ones that are super inexpensive. But if you get the right audience, all you're really trying to do is filter out on the cheap cost mm-hmm. those people who are the right people. And that will help when you go to a direct call to action. So my experience has been that's a pretty good one for going after cold traffic on Facebook or Instagram. I'll have to give that a shot. Yeah. 
Well, very cool. Aaron, this has been really neat. I really appreciate you spending the time uh, and sharing some of the things that you've learned through your experience. You know, one of the main reasons I do these interviews is I want to help small business owners like you and me uh, be able to avoid some of the, the pitfalls and, you know, see some new perspectives of some people that are getting results. And you're someone that I've been enjoying, you know, observing from a distance and seeing the results that you're getting. So I really appreciate you spending the time with us today. My pleasure. If there's anything, was there, is there anything that you think has been like a huge impact on you that you would want to pass on to people that are listening? So in, in growing a small business, taking on the, the business owner mindset versus the, the kind of the self-employed mindset has yeah. been huge. Creating, just like I, we create campaigns and systems and, and flowcharts inside of our marketing automation and, and our funnels. Also spending some time to design out interpersonal systems inside the business. So having a new employee come in, what's the next step there? Having an employee orientation, creating a company handbook, uh, documenting things, systemizing it so that way other employees can handle the, the hiring and the training. And, and one of my... I think biggest achievements has been um, hiring managers and training them to do the hiring and training, and then ultimately writing uh, paychecks for people that I've never personally met yet. And and so building a business systematically through designing policies and procedures, and, and when, when something doesn't work, you look at it, why didn't this work? What can we do here? Document it, create a procedure for next time. And really empowering people. I mean, what one of the, the, the easiest way to automate uh, early on is, is you hire people and, and, and have them be laborers. And, and so it's yeah. like when we do physical mail, I, I call people or put a message out in our company WhatsApp chat and say, hey, if anyone's looking for work, uh, Thursday afternoon, we're stuffing envelopes. And you set up a little assembly line in the office and we're... Uh, the, the printer is going crazy and, and one person uh, folds, one person staples, one person stuffs and one person stamps. And I, th- I think that that is probably a very underrated skill that a lot of people, because they, they don't recognize it because they don't recognize the danger of being self-employed. And uh, to be fair, these terms get thrown around quite a bit interchangeably sometimes, entrepreneur, self-employed business owner, et cetera. But they all have some distinct meanings to them that are very unique. And the, the self-employed mentality is one that people fall into thinking that they're a business owner. And the way that you know if a business is, if you're self-employed is, if you don't show up to work, does that business actually survive? And maybe it's for a period of time at least, like, can you go a month? Could you step away for a month and that business survive? And if the answer is no, then you're self-employed for sure. So and it probably isn't degrees more than black and white in many ways, but people don't realize the danger of being self-employed. The danger of being self-employed is that if for any reason you have to step away, your income goes away. And that's like a super dangerous position to be in. Like obviously that happens if you're employed by somebody, but one of the benefits of, of owning a business is that the business could be an entity that produces revenue for you, even if you're not there. Absolutely. And and so it's really critical. And like you just demonstrated with your example of the direct mail, 
a very small way that that can be done, right? Which is just even hiring part-time labor to come and do something that normally the self-employed individual would just take on themselves. Yeah. And it's because you have some respect for the value of your time in the business. Yeah. I can spend five hours stuffing envelopes myself, or I can spend 45 minutes and pay six people uh, an hourly rate for, for an hour and get it all done instantly. And allow that time that you would have wasted doing it yourself to be invested in something that's actually going to bring in more revenue, like thinking about, well, what should this ad be in this new periodical I'm going to try? That's actually extremely valuable time. It's time that people often don't equate with being extremely valuable, but time working on offers, time working on designing process, you know, or taking process that's manual and converting it to automated that's extremely valuable time because you do that once and then it replicates and it creates return yeah. on investment ongoing. Yeah. You fold an envelope, that's done. You know, you wasted that time on that one envelope and it probably might, isn't going to even be seen. It's going to end up in the trash can. You know, of those hundred, two or three of them are actually going to get some attention where they actually respond, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, it's critical. Well, thanks so much, Aaron. I really appreciate it. This has been really good. I've really enjoyed it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. We'll have to do it again. (laughs) Absolutely.